Come on. Welcome to Life Club. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Jonathan Satovsky. Jonathan, are you ready to do this? Let's go, George. Let's go. Jonathan is a CFP, a CHFC, and a CIMA. He's the founder and chief behavioral coach with Satovsky Asset Management. He's the author of Your Rich Life. Excited to have you back on, Jonathan. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, why you do what you do. Thanks, George. Uh, let's see where it starts. Uh, in a succinct message, I uh, have stumbled upon this concept. And uh, like uh, if anyone's read the book, The Tao of Pooh, 1982, Benjamin Hoff's book, um, I, I have a zenful Taoist concept that most people are rumbling, bumbling, stumbling. And as they're rumbling, bumbling, stumbling, looking for honey, you know, as they search the World Wide Web, it's not actually the World Wide Web. My, uh, my meditative interpretation is actually they're searching for one of three things, some form of knowledge or wisdom, some form of wealth or money, and something around wellness, something around their health. It could really be boiled down to those three things. So when you get out of college, they don't really teach a lot of people about financial literacy. People learn by the socioeconomic environment they've grown up in, their household and their community and their culture that they're part of through osmosis. And then they get in the world and they have to start developing their own relationships with money. So I got into this field in a desire to try to make people bulletproof and empowered around money, particularly my mother. And I realized that people, no matter how successful, people worth a billion dollars, people weren't designing a life that was actually leading to a keen balance. They might've had money, but they didn't have health. They might've had health, but they didn't have money. They might've had knowledge, but they couldn't put it together. So I've been on a quest for the keen intersection and balance for how to live your rich life. And it's not all about money, but it's finding the keen balance of meaning, math, mindset, and money. Being a Michigan Wolverine fan, I, I had to give it the M, taking sure. the W for Wisconsin and throwing <laughs> it in the M of the Michigan Wolverines. I love it. A keen balance. How do you use the, how did you, Settle on the, 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 the word keen. Just came to me. You know, yeah. it's, uh, if, if you know much about the vinegar tasters, the uh, philosophies of Buddhism, Confucianism, and Taoism, you know, you can look at life as bitter. You can look at life as sour, or you could just smile through it all and rumble, bumble, and stumble. And I think keen is a good capture, a good way to capture sort of the essence of it all, you know? I love it. So I've not read the Tao Poo, but it sounds like it'd be right up my alley. And I do find myself rumbling, bumbling, and stumbling on my quest for honey, sometimes on a daily basis. Is that good or bad? What is? If you do it joyfully, it's good. You know, I think that there is a desire to be fulfilled, to people live a fulfilled life. And 
you know, when people first start in the money field, the question initially is, oh, how much do you charge? And, you know, what's your performance relative to the market, you know? Mm. And so people think it's all about a performance game. And certainly, you know, everyone wants to perform well. But how do you measure performance? If you're measuring it in a day, in a week, in a month, in a quarter, in a year, three years, five years, 10 years, you know, if you, if you change the time frame of the metric, at any moment in time, you're going to think you're a genius or an idiot, or your client's going to think you're a genius or an idiot. So to avoid the genius idiot theorem, I just use the analogy of Warren Buffett, who's been one of the best investors last 50 years. And if you knew nothing about finance and you just put all your money with Berkshire the last 50 years, you would have experienced 40% of the time, four out of 10 years, you would underperform the market by magnitudes of 20 to 60%. Mm. So if it's just about fees and performance, and you and, it, and I wasn't called the Oracle of Omaha, <laughs> it's almost a certainty you're going to bail on that path 40% of the time. You're going to question your faith. You're going to question your fortitude. You're going to question your conviction and confidence in the process because there's going to be a lot of other people that are going to appear smarter, wiser, more in flow at that moment in time. And if you're vulnerable, if you're not grounded, if you're not rooted, in your values, in your conviction, in your the people you've surrounded yourself by, if you don't have a support system and structure that can enable you to get through that 40% of time of pain, you're going to do a lot of terminal damage to your finances over a lifetime. doesn't matter what path you choose. So it's not just about money. It's a lot deeper than that. And, and uh, I remember a guy telling me, I don't take on any clients till they're 50. Hmm. I said, why is that? He goes, because they'll have made a lot of mistakes by the time they're 50, and then they'll be mature enough to realize, you know what? <laughs> I got blind spots. Maybe it's better off someone else takes care of this for me. That's funny. There's, 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 there's wisdom in recognizing that it takes a while for us humans to find wisdom. So I've been spending a lot of time thinking about, um, I think that, that a lot of my work is designed to help people successfully live today because modern living is really eating our lunch in, in a lot of capacities and particularly with young people. I just, I talked to a therapist the other day and she said 75% of teenagers are suffering from anxiety and depression and perfectionism. And even the kids that, that, that sort of get the straight A's and the great test scores and get into college and they graduate and they're like, Oh, is, is, is this it? We were promised this, this amazing lifestyle. And so we're, we're, we're sort of left unfulfilled and surrounded by messages of, of, of beautiful, perfect people. And everybody's rich, except for me. It's a lot that I just dumped on you. Well, I'm going to pause you on that because you said a key, key word in there that I caught is promised a lifestyle. Mm. I, I have a problem with that. And I, I think there's a Madeline Albright just passed away. And Madeleine Albright had spoken. She was a secretary of state, first woman secretary of state in our country. And she had a talk many years ago that I attended. And she said, I taught a class at George Washington University called The Consequence of Political Action. And what I really wanted to teach, if I reflect on it, is the unintended consequence of political action. So let me explain. 
you have a problem, whatever you think of the problem, and you go bring in the greatest experts in the world and they fix whatever they think is the problem. And then they create a problem exponentially worse than the problem they are fixing. Sometimes people got to find their own journey and find their own path. So promising is a form of entitlement. Mm. There's a concept I wrote about in my book called shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. And you can apply this to any culture or even a society at large. And this is something to be quite mindful about. Pause and think about this for a moment. Someone grows up with nothing and they sludge through the snow and, you know, like use America as, a, as an example, the people that grew up post uh, Great Depression. They, that generation called the greatest generation worked hard. They suffered. They went through World War II. They went through the Depression. They, they were entrepreneurial. They hustled. They, they scrapped and clawed. And, you know, they figured it out. They started with nothing. Uh, many of them immigrated to the country. And the next generation, the most important thing for the baby boomers was to educate them, to make sure they were more educated, become doctors, lawyers, professionals. They didn't want them to suffer. They wanted to promise them a better life, as you said, you know. So, okay, how do you get a better life? Let me educate them and get them a better education, get them a better job. There's one little, slight little thing that starts slipping. And that slight thing is the separation of time from the Great Depression or World War II or the time of suffering or pain or, or the lack of. And so people experience something called lifestyle drift. This is an invisible cancer in society, lifestyle drift that the more you make, the more you spend. And so you, st you stay on the hedonistic uh, hamster wheel, you know, the treadmill. The third generation from there, unfortunately, you and I might be part of that generation, is promised a better life. Mm. Well, many of them become snowboard instructors, you know, but they're used to such a good life and they don't appreciate it, you know. So here, I'll pose this question to you. I heard this recently. It's interesting. If you tip the seven, eight billion people in the world and you, and you rolled it into a hundred, how many of the 100 people in the world live on more than $90 a day? Little oh, yeah. Brain is George. How many of them live on more than 90 a day? You got it. Um, less than one. None of them? That's right. One out of 100 people live on $90 a day. So a lot of America, we are, as, as Buffett wrote in his letter a couple of years ago, you know, we are living like the kings and queens of yesteryear. And, you know, sometimes like, you know, the Star Wars movie, Jabba the Hutt sitting back eating his grapes. You know, you get fat and lazy if, you're, if you got it too easy. So, you know, not that you want people to suffer, but I think that social media and the images that people see of what is a perfect life, people are getting rich on cryptocurrencies. People are taking beautiful vacations. People are, you know, flying private jets and driving fancy cars. And I think the images that people are um, ascribed to at a young age of what leads a rich life or what's a happy life is mostly materialism. And I think that the keen balance, at least for me, that I have become aware of is the people that are the happiest and the most content are those that work on the inner journey and work on the inner soul to feel fulfilled rather than needing external validation. And of course, you know, I'm, you know, 
product of the generation. I like, you know, nice things. I like external validation. But at the end of the day, if you lost everything, if we had, if this pandemic wasn't, uh, ended up being a lot deeper and darker and the, the government didn't put in, you know, a, a, you know, a major safety blanket and everything fell apart and we lived through another, who knows, maybe World War III, this Ukrainian thing ends up exploding a lot deeper and we have another depression or something and someone and people lose everything they have, all their material possessions, what do you got? You got your internal soul and your internal light that keeps shining. You wake up every day and you're blessed that you can use your five, 10 fingers and the family and the support system, the people you love. And, you know, you, you build a community with the energy you got and, and the tools and the resources and the, the energy of just being good and kind and uh, trying to light up other people's day. Because a lot of, if you, if you recognize that one out of a hundred people have what you have, you got to shine a light for the other 99 to be able to find, help them make their lives a little easier, help lift up someone else just a little bit with a kind word, with a kind gesture. You know, you don't know the, 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 the ripple effect of the impact that you could have on someone else's day just with a smile. I know that gets down to a little woo-woo, but it's uh, something that I think about often if people aren't so I focused and we focused about the collective in humanity, I don't think the mental um, promise of a better life and the entitlement of a better life is something that would weigh on people so heavy, you know? Yeah. I think that that's really well said. So for people who are listening, they say, well, yeah, I'm interested in doing that. I'm interested in, in engaging in more self-exploration and, and getting down to what I think is most important. And we all probably know that we're supposed to practice gratitude and be grateful, but for whatever reason, I guess the question is, how do I, how do I make that a sustainable part of my life? How do I do it every day or do it every week? Well, uh, every, you know, everyone has a different faith based, you know, something I, I wake up with a little, you know, you returned my soul to my body back today. I don't know <laughs> why you returned it, but you, I got to do some good. So, you, you know, everyone should have some type of, um, spiritual practice I think is helpful or, you know, meditative practice is helpful, but that may not be enough. I think that, you know, people talk about habits, you know, there's financial habits of saving and investing and, um, there's habits of, you know, your exercise, you want to get your heart rate, you know, up half hour a day, you want to, um, do some mental uh, training. One thing that I've been striking upon is that there's a form of philanthropy, you know, um, people, I try to ascribe ideally that people save 10% for themselves and donate 10% to others, but giving money alone doesn't necessarily feel fulfilling. So what people can do is they can donate their time to something locally or globally that's meaningful to them. And whether it's, you know, um, delivering uh, on food trucks, you know, to the hungry or helping build houses with Habitat for Humanity, or, um, you know, if you, if you get your hands and your energy really poured into something, even if you did it once a month or once a year, um, individually or as a, as, a, as, a group, as a family or as a group of people that, you know, you can collaborate with, 
it's going to change you. I think it will have a profound impact. And if it doesn't, then you're not, you're not, you're not really immersing yourself in the right place. And, you know, you keep rumbling, bumbling, stumbling until you find the places that you, that feel right to you and that you feel like you can contribute your, whatever skills you have in the world that you can help contribute. And I think that contribution you might think it's doing it for someone else. It's actually likely exponentially more impactful for yourself. I don't do it enough for sure. I know I'm, you know, I'm guilty, but it's something that I'm, I'm uh, consciously uh, trying to curate experiences that I can get myself immersed in. I love it. I think that, that as we find ourselves, as I find myself in a time where we're looking at all these huge problems all over the world happening all the time. And we feel helpless to a degree and just remembering, Hey, there's stuff right in my backyard, probably right. You know, literally in my backyard that I can put my time and effort into and helping other people. Um, and that'll, I think that that will help to, that I want to say, get, get your mind right, but Get your mind so that's why I, I, I had a friend that pulled me into sort of a uh, a study group, you know, a um, a spiritual study group, and you know, it's been very interesting, you know, intellectually and spiritually, and and then he asked me to be involved in a board uh, on uh, a board of an organization called uh, uh, AJC, American Jewish Committee, to fight anti-Semitism around the world. And I was like, well, I don't really feel it. And then he starts highlighting all the things that are happening around the world, and he said, you might not feel it, but it's happening, you know. Mm. So. So you don't know what you don't know. I think a lot of us are blind to our blind spots and blind to how we can contribute. So, you know, you, you just try to connect the dots one day at a time with people that, you know, you care about and get involved in things that feel meaningful and feel like they can, uh, they can make an impact. And just one journey of a thousand miles begins one small step. Yeah. I love it. Jonathan, people are ready for your difference-making tip, even though you've given us a couple already. What do you have for them? The difference-making tip that I that has been helping me is the power of the pause. Miles Davis says the magic is in between the notes. <laughs> so we're in a very fast-paced society things are moving fast sometimes faster than the human mind can keep up with the exponential pace of change is dizzying to some but sitting is the new smoking so if you pause take a walk spend a little time in nature breathe in for a count of five out for a count of five do it six times and if you do that one time a day you can change the neuroplasticity of your brain, your body, and your perspective on how you address challenges, problems, mindsets that you or people you care about are dealing with. And you can solve pretty much any problem on your own. Well, I think that, that is great stuff that definitely gets, come on, the power of our breath, that, that, that it's so immensely overlooked. If you would do that practice that Jonathan just described, you'll see massive benefits from such a small thing. Jonathan, it's so great to talk with you again. Thank you for coming back on. Where can people learn more about you? How can they engage with you? Where can they get a copy of the book, Your Rich Life? 
Uh, you can probably go on Amazon. It's uh, it's now in hardcover. I uh, I haven't yet made the Audible book. I know, uh, but that, to to assure people, the book is uh, is writ- is written at a seventh grade level. It was meant for my kids, so it's uh, it should be timeless. It's not time sensitive, so you can read it for yourself, for your kids, your 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 grandparents, your your parents, your friends, colleagues, and it's got plenty of pictures. So don't worry. It's, you know, <laughs> uh, my website is uh, my last name. Think of like a Russian vodka, Satovsky. Oh, Russian might be a dangerous word these days. Mm. That's several generations ago, but nonetheless, Satovsky, S-A-T-O-V-S-K-Y.com. So, uh, yeah, I think that I have built a great team. We got a lot of kernels of wisdom, people that can provide a lot of structure and support to people that are looking for uh, wisdom, wealth, and wellness for multiple generations. We're, We're here to help. Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Jonathan your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Pick up a copy of Your Rich Life because it is timeless, not time sensitive. That is a great phrase right there, Jonathan. And then go to satovsky.com. It's S-A-T-O-V-S-K-Y.com and check out everything else that Jonathan's working with, working on and get in touch with him. Thanks again, Jonathan. Thanks, George. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together.